Hello everyone, welcome to XYZ Podcast. I'm Gary. Yep. Um, today I'm really happy to again uh, invite one of my good friends back then in uh, Taylor's time and now she's she's doing her master's. I think I think just finished uh, finally. So Yeah. <laughs> and and we have Shiko on the line. Um Shiko uh well how 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 should I say this? Um Shiko is my good friend and also like the first, I would say probably my first, uh, first one of the few um, teammates in our foundation uh, assignment. And uh, I always see her as the someone that very, very angry or very bold or very... <laughs> <laughs> you sure you want to talk about this right now? <laughs> in the beginning? <laughs> uh, well, well, well. It's just some something that I I bet our audience are really keen to know more about you. Um, and and yeah, and 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 I don't know. Somehow it's just very interesting to uh talk talk again with Shiko uh or what I knew as Pujiko. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and it's really interesting to uh we can talk again because um. We, I think we sort of uh, m- uh, miscommunicated for I don't know how long. We didn't communicate for I don't know uh, for some time. At least one or two years, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think the last time we we spoken to each other maybe was about the exhibition. But after that, I think you went off to to uh, Oxford. So, yeah. Mm. I think I think yeah. that's where sort of things uh, get separated, and uh, I I. I'm kind of, kind of, kind of sorry that I didn't manage to meet her when I was in Oxford at the uh, for the first time. And uh, I, worry. yeah, I, I, I bet, I bet she was working at that at that time, like working yeah. at chart time at Oxford. So, yeah. without further ado, welcome, Shiko Fu. <laughs> Hi everybody. Hi, hello, Gary. Right, how are you? How how are you doing so far? Like um. Well, well, currently I bet you know, like, like UK is still in lockdown in a way. Yeah, it's still lockdown. I'm still staying at home all day long. So this could consider like one of my few human interactions since March. <laughs> so, so are you saying that even your your parents like giving you a, a, an instruction you don't follow as well? Um, yeah, they actually quite respect my decision. Because they actually asked me to go back with my sister. My sister, she went back like two months back. Okay. But I decided to stay so that I can complete my master final project because I have all my resources here with the books and everything here. So it's not really a wise decision to go back because uh, back then everything is still unknown. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so um and speaking of that I believe that there's a lot of things that we uh I would like to ask you about and uh, uh, uh about your experience at Oxford and also the overall two years in uh in your master as well. So so far I mean I I look at your 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 social feeds you are doing very uh, very well with cookings and also some uh is it stitching is it some sort of like a stitching things? Yeah, actually, like, I did some sewing and knitting and some embroidery so right. that myself uh, inform and pack during my free times because right now I have quite a lot of free time. I like to discover and learn more new things instead of just uh, solely focusing on architecture itself. Mm. I, it's also part of the interest, I guess. 
I I believe that you you are the kind of a person who are kind uh who are very passionate about art and craft and uh it, it's it's very obvious back in the undergrads. Uh, I'm not sure about uh, what you are doing now in master when you are doing an assignment. How do you find the uh so-called hobbies? besides doing your assignment um but before that i would like to ask you the uh you know something much more relevant or recent um i'm, I'm curious about what is your interpretation of covid19 and how does that um impact or how or, or change your perception into architecture or even your lifestyle hmm, i guess from covid19 it made me realize a lot of stuff especially from uh, my perspective and knowledge on political and economical and socially all around the nation and the world. It actually made me realize a lot and it actually um, enriches my knowledge mm. somehow so that it also allows a lot of our current younger generation to better understand of the current state and issues of the world. Most importantly, it also shows like how we are all vulnerable and everyone are affected by it somewhere or another. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. And, and, and you, you, you've spoken about the uh, political and social influence and I, I, I believe that that can be part of the elements when we're talking about architecture. So uh, I, I'm curious, uh, how do you see politics in, at this point of view? Like, do you see policy... Um, as an important element into architecture and how it plays to ensure humans, human life in this case? Undoubtedly, because of my studio team for this semester, it's actually about our market. So I actually touch on a lot of political, economical on country. Hmm. And surprisingly, actually, before that, I didn't really have any much knowledge on this area. So my lecture actually helped me a lot on this. So right now, my perspective is quite different in terms of, I think political and economical surely have a really large impact on how we design the architecture right now. We need to have like a better understanding and contextual studies before we, and also fully develop research on all these things, especially on our site, in order to produce a really much more related committee-based design. So yes, I do agree that political and economical somehow really affect architecture in somewhere around, uh, particularly in design. Mm. I, 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 think, I think it's very relevant in, in such a way that we, you know, back, back, back in undergrads, we really don't know these kind of things. We don't, how, we, we don't react to this kind of uh, linkage or this kind of uh, chain reaction between yeah. architecture and also social political and economical so those are the things that i would like call it as a body of culture and i believe that we can talk more about it in your assignment um okay. but before that i would like to ask like how was your childhood sounds like and how does that evolve into your steps into architecture actually my childhood isn't really that all grand and really interesting so, um, rather interestingly, I never really considered architecture as a profession back then when I just completed high school. Mm. But I was just more of a science girl and was into subjects like chemistry, physics, and math. Mm. However, I like to keep my options and possibilities open, so I took an extra arts subject when I was in high school. Um, 
I guess one of the reasons was that so that I won't be limiting myself trapped within an area of interest. Mm. So being in the science stream is largely why I used to think that I might end up being some immunologist, pharmacist of that sort of profession. But um, once tempted, uh, once I was tempted to pursue math, but after a long period of doing research, scrutiny, and asking people with related experience, I think the turning point for me in the end was still to continue my passion. Mm. Um, purely doing what I love the most as, uh, in terms of art and math. So in other sense, architecture is just coincidentally the mixture of both things of the subject which I love. So you can see my choice is actually not really influenced by my dad. <laughs> Mm, mm, mm. And and I'm I'm curious like how do you see architecture again after you study so much all things like what you said about politics and social or eco or even economics. Um, we are usually I would ask I I would ask the guests like what would you do if let's say you are not studying into architecture. So I would like to ask what would you do if not um because you study architecture. What if what would I do because I study architecture? Is that the question? Yeah, apart from architects, I, I, I guess, do you do you do you see your chance being a politician? Oh, <laughs> um, I don't think so because as you know, I'm pretty much an introvert, but right. I'm kind of like the kind of introvert which have like really huge interest in doing business. I really enjoy doing business and. I sort of have like future planning in the future to do something outside architecture as well, mm. like a side job. So yeah, that's about it. Mm. And 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 I believe that uh, it may be a more or less uh, influence from your father because your father is an architect. So how do you see the link or the relationship to inspire you to to be to be yourself in today? Hmm. I think my father doesn't really have much of a role in influencing my personality. Mm. Maybe one way or another, but uh, maybe that's not really. As in, my father doesn't really influence my personality. Uh, my father didn't influence me much, but instead of, I guess I pick up learning. I kind of I love learning. That's why like I love learning new things. Mm. So that is one of the reasons how it. Um, kind of sort of shaped me for who I am today. Mm, mm. If that makes sense. Okay. So so how about like I, I, I believe that, you know, uh speaking of your works throughout the undergrads or, or even postgrads, those are very experimental. Um well it's not literally something that can can be related to uh chemistry or even biology or physics. But the kind of attitude to look at architecture is very obvious in that case. Uh, well, well, let's let's come to something much more soft. Uh, <laughs> not not too much about <laughs> architecture, and I I believe that you are like a you are a cat person, and and I I can see the attachment between you and cats are very um very clear as well. <laughs> so I I I, I, I saw, and I thought and I thought there must be a certain link for a person who rare. For for rare a cat and also a uh, uh, to you know to, who have a cat and somehow must be a link like you know person who has a dog then they might say mm, you know the yeah. dog attitude or behavior somehow shaped by 
a human or for example by your owner mm-hmm. so I, mm-hmm. I i i just briefly read through an article about attachment and impersonal relationship between human and pets and mm-hmm. and, and, and when speaking of feline personality which is talking about cats okay mm-hmm. um I, i'm curious you know because hmm i i okay how i think is that a human or a person always wearing different kind of masks when facing this different kind of people I'm not sure mm-hmm. if you agree with that or not. Um, yeah. So in, in speaking of that, like the talking about cats, right? They have like um, five characters. Okay, let, let, let me just read through a little bit. Um, the first yeah, one sure. is about neurotic. Second one is about extrovert. Third one is about dominant. Fourth one is about impulsive. And the last one is about agreeable. So how would you like to distribute these kind of characters when you're seeing different kind of people? Um. Uh, are you do do you actually do that like when you meet with <laughs> strangers different kind of cat and then you met with your boyfriend is different kind of cat some way or another i think it might be true that um like the owner kind of have some of the characteristic that the pet they their own right but it's kind of funny but uh, you mentioned that actually because my friend always tell me that I am a cat just hidden underneath the human skin. Uh, it was actually our inside joke. But mm. I guess some way, in some way my personality do resemble a cat. But more of in terms of curiosity and spontaneity. So um, I got bonkers just to find out about some stuff which I am not familiar with or even so spark my interest. And I need explanation, and I will need everything to find out the answers or just to understand how it works. So this also leads to the point that I'll start learning and trying new things and so on. So I guess that is part of the characteristic that I got from cat, if you actually say so. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of interesting, they actually learn from pets. <laughs> Sorry? You're, you're actually learning from pets instead of learning, yeah. learning from people or actually, whatnot, and then you just observe at cats. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I believe that, you know, everything, I mean, like, not just um, pets, but people, you can always learn something, one thing or another from them, no matter it's a bad thing or a good thing. Hmm. Uh, you can always learn something, like, even so, like, with your, if, let's say, like, a bad teammate. It's not that, you know, it's like, how to say this? It's like fate, you know? Somewhere or another, God places people in your life and they actually mean something and um, offers to teach you some value in life. So I kind of believe that kind of thing. So it includes pets as well, I mm. believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When we're speaking of the, let's say, a bad teammates, is your is your swearing going to come out soon? <laughs> uh, I hope I don't because... It's been a long time that I go with teammates, but you know, it's an inevitability. Inevitably, I think, uh, as architect, we need to work with teammates. So mm. I think my experience in working uh, kind of teach me a lot about that. Mm. And yeah, so you can't really say you can't work with teammates. You more one way or another, you need to work with people, even mm. though you. I always claim to be like introvert. Mm. But this is like how it should work. You are not alone in working environment, and you should learn it. Mm. I I I, yeah. I I totally agree. I'm totally agree with that because uh, 
I think somehow architecture students were trained or was trained to be one man show kind of thing that you do a lot of things mm. uh, by yourself. Yeah. But after that, if you think about it, you are actually not. Uh, you are actually nothing because you have to collaborate yeah. with people like engineer, artists, or even uh, yeah. scientists or ecologists, for mm. example. So there's a lot of things that we have to consider, and yeah. Yeah, and then and then you did mention about you are a kind of a person who wish to know answer behind all the decisions. So there must be a reason in a way. Uh, in speaking of that, I'm I'm curious about what is your reason of uh, behind your business earlier in uh, uh, undergrads, and you did mention about business as well. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. like what is what is your thought? What was your thought uh, to to have a business back then to have like a small boutique, or have a small business about graphics i think yeah so so what 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 was the uh, intention behind about the, the the business and and um i know i well well of course it, it doesn't um it might not going until now but it's just that I'm, I'm i'm really glad that at least you tried that um to have a business so I, i'm curious mm-hmm. like what what is your experience about that Yeah. Um. Actually, finally, uh, a lot of the things that I did is actually all out of spontaneity. So it's like one day I was lying down in my bed and I suddenly overwhelmed with thoughts, like how I start to picture a business model and how I will start it off, potential promoters, and even how I should boost my business reputation, list of supplies and reviews, and all this stuff even before I really actually decide to do one. Mm. But so then I started. All this was just to potentially to earn some money and to support my needs instead of constantly taking from my parents. Mm. So then I just jumped off of that and started designing the brand logo. So that is basically how I started it. Mm. I agree. Yeah, but I do agree with your statement that sh- um, everyone, perhaps everyone who is interested in doing business in the future, should at least try it out and see. Whether it's a successful one or a failed one, no matter what it is, one way or another, can still learn one thing or another, and in the future you can maybe further improve. Mm, so yeah. it is a pretty valuable experience to me, and it made me understand and you know open my eyes a, a lot of aspects in terms of how general business model works and how you deal with suppliers, clients, and feedback. Mm. And most importantly, um, despite the small business model that I did, I felt deeply resonate with Jack Ma's quote from Alibaba,、mm. where he once said that when doing sales, the first people who will trust you will be strangers, friends will be shielding against you,、mm. and friends will distance from you. But it's、um, I guess I kind of resonate that it's said that how you get more support from strangers than people you know, you know. That's one of the valuable experiences that I actually found out. It sounds very dark in a way. It says that like like your <laughs> friends are the one who will gonna shoot you down, and then the strangers, no, the strangers. No, 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 not shoot you down, but you know when you start out doing business, you have no friends and connection. Right. And you need somewhere or another, you need someone to help you to promote your business, of course. But when you actually started, and if um. How do I put this? Like, if you actually started and your friends know about it,、mm. uh, in the beginning, as you know, like naive that you think, you think your friends and you know people around you will support you、mm. and help and purchase from you and in order for you to help your business.、Mm. But that's 
unfortunately, it's not a reality. Um, most of the people who helped me a lot were strangers. I actually did a lot of research about it. Mm. So in the beginning, it was pretty tough, but at the end, it was actually quite. Um, I would say I quite pretty proud of my what my what the business came up to, even though I have stopped. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. And 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 speaking of that, I I'm. I would like to uh, relate that to how our education system shaping our mind also. So you know, because back then in undergrads, we we the only chance that we actually can do the so-called real business is about the charity show. But mm-hmm. other than that, um, or or, or exhibition, uh, you know. So in speaking of that, I believe that a lot of people like, uh, especially in architecture students, they know how to design, but they don't know how to sustain a business. So that's mm-hmm. become another issue. So. Um and and I would like to ask like how do you see the education system the difference between uh what you are doing now and back then in Taylor's I I mean even though it's uh undergrads and postgrad the the cur- curriculum uh criteria or the program might be different but I'm I'm curious like what do you see the atmosphere or the environment shape you to notice that the difference or the contrast to allow you to learn more. Actually, the difference is quite vast in my opinion, because during my degree years, I actually kind of at one point I was like devastated and kind of feel bored mm. because of the constant standard procedure that we were taught to, mm. like from site analysis, you need to do site analysis on wind mm. path and all those stuff, and then gradually going into design. Mm. But you know, I guess the most distinctive difference shown in architecture, especially in universities, is the way that the institution teaches or even how the lecturers are able to drive your interest. Um, from my experience, um, okay, disclaimers might be biased or unbiased depends on different people's point of view. Mm. In terms of design expression, I think in the UK, I am able to freely express my design and explore um, different possibilities through architecture. Mm. Um, rather, it's just a concept or an abstract form. As long as I did a full, complete research in understanding the users, community, mm. and context for me. But however, in Malaysia, it's like like uh, I was once criticized for doing self-indulgent design. Indeed, now I look back, I did not fully grasp how I should utilize the research and information that I have gathered during site analysis and being able to translate it clearly through design. Hence, the tutor did not really understand what I was trying to achieve and left her render that I was producing something to my own white liking. So that actually left me quite devastated because I do not understand what I should do to correct it. Mm. I did what I was told, but you know, I to conduct interviews, did my site analysis, and I did everything that was supposed to be the SOP. Mm. I understand being in the university means the tutor don't really spoon feed us anymore, and mm. I do welcome and accept criticism. But in desperate, but I was in desperate need of guidance as well. I still did not know what I did wrong. So then a few years later, now I was in my postgrad studies. I was fortunate to have my current tutors as they taught me so much. So um, they do still give me criticism, but more like a constructive criticism. Mm. They would guide you from what you propose instead of, you know, um, <laughs> destroy you. Mm-hmm. They will give you a lot of book reference in support of what you want to, you know, design. And they will look into your potential and actually provide you guidance, a direction for you to go forward. 
So I think this is quite a big difference between it. Later mm. I was like in back in Malaysia, I was actually um, lost. I that's the word lost. Mm. I did not know where I should start to change. You know, I know it's not really a good design already, but I need a direction. So my tutors here in the UK actually give me a lot of guidance that even inspire me to do um way beyond than what I initially do. So that was what I think of the differences. Is that is that sparked out of a certain time that you face in undergrad or I mean I, I'm curious that the kind of difference that you uh, it comes to your mind is it because when you are doing your undergrads or when you are doing your postgrad and and I'm curious like how do you see when you are doing your undergrad do you think like oh shit I, I could have just go with my own way and then just F all the way and then I will just do on my own way so is that is that already happened in your undergrads? Yeah, I think that was. I think it happened during half me at halfway my undergrad. Right. I feel like um, you know, architecture it has become so dull that we everything every project always starts with site analysis and then it goes to design development. But there is no much guidance on what kind of resource you should touch on. Like for in the UK, they will try to drive you um how to design your. I think I think the problem still lies within the research and also analysis you can actually gain a lot of inspiration and design a concept from your analysis to extract a lot of information like for my uk my uk study they actually mm. drive we have like a team like a market team mm. so that we know that and in the beginning we actually give us a lot of readings during the first semesters first <laughs> first semester mm. all we do is read read and I was actually quite frustrated. I was like, um, what all of these readings are going to help me with? You know, I was like really frustrated, but my tutors were like telling me like, it's okay, trust us, trust mm. us, it will help, it will help. But yeah, you know, in the first semester, um, I still don't get it, but during the second semester, and I start to understand, you know, everything starts to, oh, like, oh, mind blown. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> you know, uh, oh my god, I was like, oh my god, what they taught me about like human because we were like reading on capitalism mm. and um production consumption. You know, I because I entered the tutor thinking that I would design a market, mm. you know. But mm. instead they drive us way beyond that. That it let us think about oh, even touching on political, economical and social matters of the site. You know, right. so it actually drives a lot of inspiration and how you will design your project instead of you know in tailors. Okay, not maybe I shouldn't say tailors. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> in in Malaysia. Okay, okay, maybe I can never mind. You know, like in Malaysia, they will just tell you to do your site analysis and all those stuff without giving you any pointers on how you should start it. And I actually find it really helpful that my tutors actually provide us um talks not talks more like lectures on like how you should use representation of image we call it the moment and mm. then after a real about i realized that it means like random you know how we will use we used to obsess about random mm. how it be mm. random is just like a visual representation that you can show your clients and all the stuff but for in our studies uh we need this image maybe we could say like a more like a representation of 
how you want to interpret your design. Mm. So I guess they emphasize more on the composition and also how you take the angle and how you take this image and what you intend to ex what you intend to explain about it. So what does it explain about your design? Uh, mm. What does this show? And what people that are going through it and how people are using the space. So that's how they need to see it from the moment that you actually capture. Mm. So and, in yep. you know like I guess I'm I'm not sure how you think what you think uh, about this, but you know back in Malaysia we actually more focus on the aesthetic and how real the render you produce. But in the UK you rarely actually see people to produce that and just accept that maybe they produce that for company promotional advertisement use. Mm. What do you think? I'm not sure. Because you can see the students here, what they produce are mostly like line drawings and mm. how they want to explore, maybe even like explore and discover different methodology in terms of how they want to design it. Mm. So you can see like maybe they have like floating city and all this stuff. Mm. And quite um, surprisingly, the tutors here are actually quite supportive of it. In, in, not instead of in Malaysia, we all we talk about is about practicality. So I can imagine if like the Bart student here proposed something like that to our tutors in Malaysia, that would actually totally attack him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think that's the big difference about the education system in terms of design here. I, yeah, I, I um in my point of view, it's okay in in here. Um, well. Of, well, for my case, render is kind of big thing, but it doesn't mean that render is a necessary thing that... Um, well, well, in here, I, I found that it doesn't have a certain framework. It, it doesn't have a criteria saying that you must submit plan, section, elevation, mm -hmm. perspective, yeah. and thing. So you, 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 you never know that your plan can be more powerful than your rendering, or you never know mm -hmm. that your construction detail can be so powerful that um, can can cover a lot of things. So... I think yeah. what's the good thing is that at least there is a flexibility in it. Uh, mm -hmm. You can choose by your own or even the tutor will suggest that, you know, your details are actually work very well. So might as well just yeah. continue work on that. Forget about renders. We just, yeah, renders is just side thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, true about that. And in terms of the flexibility that the tutors gave us, and they're kind of like, um, they tell you what you need to do instead of telling you you should have floor plans and how you should do this thing, like how we need to do in, you know, in, in Malaysia. So like you can actually merge your drawings in all they want to do, all they want to see is how you explain your design. I think that's the most important thing and how you actually uh, rationalize and explain your design in the way that it actually relates to the site. Hmm. So I think they really see, emphasize this thing. Okay. Now, now we we already discussed a lot discuss a lot of things about formal education, like how it's like a proper education that you can learn from your tutor, from your uni, from your works. And now let's talk about informal education in a way. How do you what do you learn from working experience in Oxford? Because in Malaysia you are um, barely have time for for a part time and. Mm -hmm. Now, now you're working at, at uh, you are working and also studying in masters and also I'm curious what do you learn along with the travel around Europe because you know it's very close and plus the the the, the fare is quite cheap, so mm -hmm. in, can you briefly share with us like how do you see the importance of informal education in in this way? I 
I guess it shows around. Um, how do I put this? I think the most things that it made me realize um among my work experience in Chicago time is that um I think the economical and also the exchange value in terms of working here it's much more affordable to Malaysia. Mm. It's not that I it's not that we earn a lot or earn too less, but even though with the minimal amount of wage that they provide, it actually allows you to have a quite a decent living here. I'm not mm. sure if you know about this. Mm. Uh, do you, I'm not sure if you work here or not, mm. but I just feel that everything is much more affordable here if you actually earn the money here. Mm. But in where else in Malaysia, even though no matter how much money that you earn, you will still feel that the living cost is really high. Even though I, if I compare the, you know, the exchange value between the pound and Malaysia ringgit, mm. mm. uh, yeah, pricing in in terms of grocery here. So I think it's quite similar, but somehow when I earn the money here, I feel that you know the exchange value doesn't really affect how much I earn. I still feel I can afford to live here. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how to explain this. So that's one of the things that made me realize while working here. And in terms of my time traveling around the Europe, I think I was fortunate to have you know I just work after I work like a month or two. I already have gathered enough money for me to travel. Mm. It's quite surprisingly how um, cheap. Okay, um, this cheap. Uh, <laughs> it's quite subjective. Okay, mm. maybe for me, I think cheap. Okay, how do I explain? Affordable, okay, so for affordable. Europe, yeah, because like for my trip in Europe, I actually spend like I spend um I spend around like six hundred to seven hundred pound. Mm. For my whole trip, mm. including my flight, transportation, my accommodation, I mean it's quite cheap because for my, <laughs> if you actually um um work part time, and you can earn around this amount in like one or two months if you actually work like full time. That's what in my opinion. If you yeah. work full time, might be takes you maybe it will take you only two to three weeks for you to work part time. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Be- 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 before we go further, and then you did mention about six hundred or seven hundred pound. That's for two person or how many countries? One person. The four countries I went to, uh, I went to Spain and Paris and then Belgium and lastly Amsterdam. I went four places. Okay, how how long is that? It was around uh fourteen to sixteen days. That's very long, cheap. Actually. That's very cheap. Yes, it's super cheap. Okay, I can't deny that I actually on my trip I actually quite really you know demand you know I didn't really I tried to spend as little as possible, but you know but it was it was really quite eye opening you know because you know from Malaysia if you think you want to travel to Europe you will have to spend a lot, but when you earn do do part time here and then it started to see oh oh my god so mm. so cheap mm. I mean you can afford. So that kind of made me realize that you know travel doesn't really mean that you need to have a lot of money to travel. You just have to save, probably. Okay. Uh. Uh. Before that, right? When if if let's say our audience at get get at this point of time, my my listen and get get frustrated or whatnot, right? I I hope that we don't get bashing or over. But but it's just that because if you think about it, right? Six hundred or seven hundred pound. In speaking of you working for a part time, it's very uh-huh. um. Relatable or the the weight is is comparable. It's not like 
you working a lot to get that kind of price. And uh-huh. and please please bear bear with us is that this is the issue that about wages and and the expenses. It's not about you know, I'm afraid that if let's say some some audience and come up to me, uh, six hundred is about like three thousand ringgit or one. Okay, yeah, fine. Exactly. That's, you, know, you you can't you can't you can't compare with that because you have to work yeah. here and earn here, and you can't say that yeah. you yeah. no you you can you I mean you at one point also I I cannot agree with that you can't compare with Malaysia mm. because if let's say you are working in Malaysia, then you yeah. travel to Cambodia, Vietnam, Japan or Korea, yeah. then it's okay. If you go mm-hmm. all the way to Europe, it's a totally different story. Yeah. So, because, like, for us, we would think, like, traveling to Europe is a like, luxury, you know. But yeah. in the UK, it's like a norm. Because, yeah. like, the level of living and the affordability in their country is really, you know, compared to Malaysia, you really, really cannot compare, you know. Mm. For them, like, even students, they just work part-time. They can already afford to travel Europe, you know. It's not like only the rich can afford to travel to mm. Europe. Okay, maybe one of the part of the reason is like because it's quite close and also the currency is quite, it's not, it doesn't really have much difference about it. But, you know, that's the thing about it. Yeah, and, and I must must clarify that you, if you compare, okay, uh, you you you, are, you were working at chat time, right? Are you, are you still working there? No. No, I stopped. Okay, okay, <laughs> let, let's just give an overview, okay? I know this podcast is gonna be long, but it's okay. I'm gonna do it. It's a... okay, you know how to cut it, okay? You just trim it to your liking. <laughs> no, 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 I won't, I won't cut it. It's, it's all pure ex, uh, essence. But anyway, hear me out, okay? So, yeah. I, I, speaking of chat time, right? How much do you... Okay, okay, I, I don't want to target on, 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 on particular on chat time, right? Okay, let's talk about like uh, uh, average hour wage of seven pound okay the minimum okay uh-huh, uh-huh. and if you compare to malaysia which is seven ringgit okay yeah exactly it's like you know the difference between malaysia and uk you know the price is just the the difference between the price is the exchange value hmm. you know <laughs> in malaysia for one hour we earn seven ringgit, but from here we one hour we might earn seven pound which is times five okay wait, wait wait one more thing and if let's say we apply this kind of uh, we we don't compare currency, okay? What if we hmm. working in Malaysia and earning that kind of amount and then travel in Southeast Asia, for example, would that uh-huh. would that still affordable in your sense? No, right? For me, I don't think so because you know, for our fresh graduate, okay, even like fresh graduate with like a degree or something, you know, the minimum amount might be like two thousand five to three k, hmm. no per month, but you know. Okay, the expenses just to travel to like Bangkok and other places, it might be like 200 to 300 ringgit or until to the extent to 1k. So that already covers pretty much one third of your salary. Mm. And you need to cover your living expenses and you need to cover your cover your grocery, uh, accommodation, rental, bills. Uh, I don't think you really have that much of luxury to go, you know, for, mm. to the extent. Mm. You need to work really hard in order to get that kind of money. Um, and, and and okay, okay, when okay, let's let's compare about the hour, uh, the the amount of time and uh we don't compare about the the currency or wages, right? Mm-hmm. Um how long does it take for you to 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 earn in a part-time to afford a trip to Europe? Just let's say for a country. Let's say go to Amsterdam, okay, let's say like two hundred pounds mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. three or four days, okay? Mm-hmm. How 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 long does it take for you to to earn that kind of I- money? I think if I really never spend one hour, just pretty much uh, five to seven days. 
Okay. Honestly, yeah, that's what I think. That's okay. That's uh, I I I'm if if more details uh, you can you our audience can can inbox us and then <laughs> we can talk more <laughs> about it. But if you if let's say you you you're talking about like let's say I want to go Singapore, right? How much? How 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 much? How long do you think we? I can make a travel to Singapore three or four days. You mean from the UK from, or from Malaysia. from Malaysia to Singapore? Yeah, it's kind of different, mm, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite different, but um, to Singapore because you know, in a way, Singapore is quite expensive now in terms because we have really different rate. I don't okay, think okay. you can earn a lot to afford that luxury in Malaysia for that maybe like one or two months. Okay, let's let let's say we go to Thailand, okay? Thailand or Vietnam, Cambodia, mm-hmm. Myanmar, you know. Mm-hmm. So how I I wonder that time, you know, I I I'm not sure if you ever thought about it, like how long does it take to work part time in Malaysia to afford a trip, three to four days to the country to the country that I mentioned just now. But don't I, you think that that is not really the problem if you really just want to go to Thailand? It's a matter of whether you want to afford to go there, like. Um, how do I explain this? Like in terms of, you know, when we were here as students, we would actually, you know, see a pretty, uh, how to say, it? we would quite often to travel around places. Mm. But when you have like a fixed living in Malaysia, and all you think about is how to save money so that you can be, you can save more money for houses and cars, something much more important, mm. instead of spending some money into traveling to. Uh, like Thailand or you know Cambodia, that kind of thing. Mm. I think if I am in Malaysia, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't really want to spend like money on that just to go to some place that is quite near. And I could have, I would think that I would, I could save that money to do something much more better. You get what I'm saying? Mm, 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 mm. Well, so, well, yeah. it, it it gets a little bit political here, so let's get away from that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. Uh, I believe that we can talk more like off 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 the line now. Okay. Um, let's talk no, about no, no, no. the works. Okay, which is mm. the main meat of the today podcast. Okay. Um, let's talk about the whole idea of your year two project. It's called regeneration, right? Okay, so. Okay. What is the project brief about? And you ju- can you just uh briefly tell us tell us about like how does that works for each student from your tutor? Okay, so my studio is actually my studio team is market and logistics. Like uh, we have other st- different studio design which targets on urban design or more like uh, virtual exploration and even so to parametric design. So right. every, every student have really different um, teams. So in terms of my teams, it's actually um, the market and logistics. Right. So um, let me explain briefly about this. It's quite really complicated at first for us to grasp as well. So it actually means the relationship between the merchants, traders and customers. Hmm. So the market has been there for more than 100 years. And also the studio team that I was in. Um, okay, let me explain logistic and market. Hmm. Uh, logistic, which is commonly defined as the detailed organization implementation of a complex operation, and it, it also involves a lot about shifting patterns and transaction between goods and bodies. And in the process, uh, logistic also plays like a really crucial role in developing a country's social economic 
Web value is process of things through exchange of labor control, commodities, and profits. And to better understand the complexity behind the studio team, in our first semester, we were actually assigned, like I said before, uh, readings which assist our thinking process in understanding how the market and logistics works. Mm. So um, the market in terms of the studio is actually, um, it's not much of the physical market that we are talking about, but more on the market of logistics. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it must sound really complicated right now, but I'll just give an example for my market that I actually explore was labor market. So for my friends, they actually explore like a sex market mm. or even... Um, what to say the forest market mm. or fish market mm. and there are a lot of things that we can explore so that is basically the uh, team of my studio mm. and 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 so eventually when when talking about the real thing market it's not like the the the, the conceptual market that you did mention about the mm. concepts um the the actual market that you are targeting is billingsgate market right yeah so so i actually I, yep <laughs> okay okay so the Billings Gap market, okay, for the site that I have chosen, um, the tutor doesn't really set it as we have to choose a market for our site. So you can choose any site you want, not mm. necessarily limited to market. I mm. chose Billings Gap market because we actually visited there. And in terms of my study in labor market, it actually quite really well correlates between with the building scale market in terms of its merchant and also its community mm. so that is one of the reasons why i choose building scale market mm. and and i want I'm, I'm curious about your perception of the site because um it's quite a we, you you can see the pomical uh environment or atmosphere there because you can see the difference between canary wharf and also the neighboring uh, neighboring hood like the uh, poplar if no mistaken so mm -hmm. I, I I visited that place and I love the architecture there because it's it has a certain sense of the uh innovation or a certain sense of invention or in certain sense of uh, finance because you if you if you go there you felt you felt like it's a new it's like Bukit Bintang kind of thing. It's it's you, you feel mm -hmm. like it's everything is so like it's it's all about well being with money. Um yeah. I'm not sure if you watch a movie called Metropolis. It's a very, very old movie. But what's very interesting about that is that it's very relevant to your topic saying about labor. It's like you work in order, uh, you, you work so that you can get the exchange for like, uh, leisure or reward. So mm -hmm. I, I, I wanted to know like, okay, first thing is what is your perception of the site? And also what sparks your idea into that kind of labor market concept? Okay, this actually draws back to my first semester, which I we okay, so during our first semester, we actually did a lot of research. And the case study which I studied in my first semester was Nagakin Tower. Okay. So in the process, I actually explored Nagakin Tower as a, like a human factory. Okay, we need to come up with like an unseen view from our case study. Hmm. So the unseen view that I gathered from my Nagakin Tower was actually a manufacturer ledger. Because Nagakin Tower was actually like a place, how I visualize it as like a place to manufacture laborers, mm. assist the capitalist progression in the city. Mm. And also it also uh, reflects the rise of working class culture mm. and not only reflects the 
impulse of workers in regards to individualized activities. However, it gets on. Measure is also used like an exchange value for the working class hard work. The Nagakin Tower in the beginning was actually for the working class in Tokyo for them to like relax and live there. And you can see in the picture it's like really quite small. Mm. And so that's kind of how I get my idea of the manufacturer leisure. It kind of feels like so this is how like okay, the capitalist visualized leisure for the working class. Mm. You know, for mm. the Nakakin Tower. Mm. So most are actually forced to work over time as I visually visualize part of our cartography exercises mm. that we need to map the territory, network, body, and also the exchange skill. Mm. So I map like the body skill feels like the working class is like an automaton, mm. a self-operating control machine designed to follow a predetermined sequence. Mm. And from there, I kind of, um, I never really thought about labor market at, at the beginning, but as we progress into our studio, I feel like this kind of relates really much about my case study. So that's how I get the labor market to as my case study for my second semester. Mm. And, and so and, that's how I get yeah. Right. So so um Nagakin Tower is seeing as an interpretation of the realistic social issue that we we've been looking up for I don't know how how many years. So mm-hmm. using the graphics to exaggerate the issues that we have been practiced for so long and that is sort of like a pre precursor for your projects right mm-hmm. yeah and, and 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 speaking of the market and speaking of the economics or even politics uh trajectories so i, I would like mm-hmm. to ask like because you did mention about capitalists and i well per- personally I'm, I'm not know very well about that so how do you see the um, political direction works in architecture or how does that influence because I, I, I thought the, the, the architecture is definitely going to be different based on you're speaking of communists, you're speaking of socialists, you're speaking of capitalists. So I'm, I'm curious like how do you see that um, affected into architecture directly and also are you a cap- do you believe in capitalists or socialists? I actually given a really long thought before this question mm. because I don't I neither consider myself a capitalist or socialist. Mm. But if you have to choose one, I might incline to socialist more. Mm. In terms of because capitalist is talking about like one person they holds much power and control and giving direction to the people below. Mm. Well, socialists is actually taking the understanding of their own co-workers, mm. if I'm correct mm. about that. So I think neither one is really, uh, how to say, I'm not really against one or another, but mm. I might incline to socialist more in terms of that kind of explanations. Okay, uh, uh, yeah, and, and but, but when it comes to like socialists, right, I have one question is that when, Speaking of socialists, in a way, is care about humanity and uh, equality mm-hmm. in a way, right? We, yeah. We're talking about you uh, work for a certain time, then you get a certain amount. But will that become an imbalance for people who think that I'm more smarter or I'm more hardworking, I should get more wages or pay or reward? I would say that I think in terms of the capitalism in 
as you can see in Canary Wharf and also Port Wharf, undoubtedly people with higher education they will get more jobs, opportunity and also education that they need in Canary Wharf. But in terms of Port Law, they are quite poor. So in political sense, I think that the territorial and also mapping also affects some way how this urban density works because it is the developer and also the local authority who has the power over this land mm. and one way or another it actually affects how the developer uh, works okay maybe some of the good developer would actually thought of the local committee and mm. actually build something which actually can benefit them but we can't really say much in this because it is the people who have the money has the power to have a say in things like this. Of course, there are a lot of local community in popular such as this. They actually voice out a lot of you know like a not really riot but more like a um against all these tall buildings and planning and development going on mm. in Canary Wharf. So they think that the government shouldn't demolish uh, the Billingsgate market because it has been long located there mm. and right now Canary Wharf is practically like a land of gold mm. you know the mm. land value that is so high everyone wants to take opportunity to regenerate the place into something that they can earn money monetize mm. everything that they want so there are a lot of development going on in Canary Wharf in terms of they have uh, plannings and tower hamlets local policy to build a lot of offices, mixed-use development, and also even housing to accommodate people from the popular. Mm. So I guess political, in some sense, they really uh, undoubtedly they actually really influence a lot of how this planning go on on the land. Mm. So I guess yeah. In, okay, and and speaking of that, I'm curious. I, I'm I have a question for you. Is that um, if let's say um, you know usually how politics works is that they only can provide one solution. So either they wanted to help the rich or they wanted to recover the poor. So in 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 in, in this uh context, how do you see the uh authority in London, for example, the the approach to might uh, mitigate this this solution uh this issue? I think they should have. I think they are doing quite the right thing right now, except that um they actually analyze a lot of the sites and see what the potential of the site, potential of the empty sites in Canary Wharf to be of benefit people from popular. Mm. So one thing about that is that they actually propose much more a lot of offices and you know mixed use building and more of this are actually to build legit legitimately are building more of this building. And they um as in, they actually say they are actually helping people from popular, mm. but they are actually what they are doing. The action is actually saying something different. They are actually building more tall buildings and against what the community wants, and maybe they do somehow manage to um, uh, how to say explain their actions through saying that by building all these buildings and office buildings, they can get more job opportunity and you know opportunity to the people in popular but one way or another another i don't i think that the gentrification and also redevelopment um is going to go on no matter what all this local community has anything to say so they just have to accept what is going on unless there is some really good development 
the developer or local community will actually take you know take a take a opportunity to change what is current going on right now okay i i, I have a very big big question for you that you can just briefly share about um um, okay, in this case, right, architecture itself, the program or the role of architects is no longer part of the picture that you mentioned all along. It is about politics and also economics and also the uh, people. Okay, so architecture is actually the mediator between this kind of thing. So how I see is that, for example, let's talk about cross rail place, which is uh, designed by Foster. So uh -huh. and 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 one of the famous quote by Foster was saying architecture is about people. So in 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 this case, right? I'm I'm curious that what is your perspective on on the role of architects and also architecture? Okay, because by right it should be architecture. What I thought is like a mediator between um social, political, economics, and also the people, right? So architecture in this case. Like what you just mentioned just now is totally our picture. It's not, it's not, it's not mentioned that how architecture can change the people. But architecture is rather like a product of the, of the, the discussion that we made just now, like policy or the invisible things or the concepts that we've spoken about. Uh, mm -hmm. And 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 at this point of time, I'm already curious that like architecture is becoming like a tool for politician or a tool for economists to realize a certain thing. And I, I can't deny that uh, Shigeru Bandit mentioned that money is invisible. So that's why the rich people would like to use architecture to showcase their status or their power. Mm -hmm. So sure. yeah, I'm, I'm curious, like what is your perspective as for, for, for architecture? What, what is architecture? What is architects? You can just briefly tell us about this. I think um you can't really stop that because yes everything is being monetized in our world people with higher status they build architecture to represent their wealth and also social status it does create imbalance one way or another even architecture has end up being like commodities in this sense so in this production and consumption culture um at the inevitability, due to a lot of new demand, new housing offices, mixed-use development will never stop as long as there is a demand for it. Mm. To put it at bluntly, um, as hypocritical as it sounds, we as architects need money to survive too. So actually, architects, we need to listen to our clients' needs. And what client wants, uh, mostly in this case, if we talk about developers, what we want is maximize profit hmm. so my best bet is when a client or developer has given you a chance to hire you as a lead architect to design a large development which is going to potentially earn millions or even billions hmm. my best guess is most architects can't really turn that offer down hmm. maybe there would be still architects who stand by their virtue and reject the offer we don't know hmm. i mean we can condemn all we want about these ongoing developments gentrification and all around the world but we shouldn't deny that it is part of the um, how it? evolution of humanity mm. that has been going on since Stone Age. And we still keep moving forward and fast. In this sense, I think architect, what the architect can do is to propose program which can be suited while also at the same time thinking about how it could earn profits while benefiting the community as well. That is, um, we also can use design 
if we did enough research, research is really, really important and crucial in this sense. Mm. So we can understand what the community needs and to provide them in terms of how you design the buildings. Mm. So I think that's the architect's role in all this. I, yeah, I believe that um, speaking of this, politics and architecture is kind of hard to, to separate. Um, mm -hmm. Well, that's why probably you can see why Richard Rogers uh, part, uh, participate in, in parliament as well. <laughs> So, um, mm. uh, and, 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 well, well, that is, it's, it's very hard to, to, to say, should I conclude that the culture shape the architecture or the architecture shape the culture, you know? So it's, it's a chicken and egg kind of thing. I, I can't really have an answer that for that. But mm. when, when speaking of the role of architecture, that what you did, what you did propose in your master's is that what I like is that you, you, you propose this kind of new, um, idea that mm -hmm. that formal and informal mix together so it, it says that formal and informal market mentality into social cultural metrics to support new form of engagement so mm -hmm. please tell us about the the project that you did for the uh the the, the um education and recreational center it seems to be like an open space where there is no status there is no uh, background is all free. It's all um for like like a democratic place. Yep. Okay. So what I propose for my final year is actually a educational and recreational center. Okay. It might not seem like that. People might view it like an alien structure and all those stuff. Mm. But what my proposal was like this speculative project can be like a. Uh, exploration between the urban and also strategies that to go to disintegrate the contrasting territories between Canary Wharf and Poplar. Mm. So uh, while the site located strategically in between, mm. the site should play the role of buffer zone attempts in creating the supposed advent of borderless world. Mm. So my concept was kind of like to reshape and reconfiguration the building is suggestive of re-terrorization rather than de-terrorization because of the um, visible border that you can see on Aston Way, the road, which mm, separate mm. Canary Wharf and Poplar. Mm. So the program that I propose as the educational and recreational hub center is to intend to for learning as a continuous process mm. and to propose that learning and skills, job skills support to provide essential and necessary training seminars or even programs catered to the local community of working class who seeks to improve their skills. Mm. So instead of providing um, merely just say that you want to provide um, job opportunities to the local community, but provide a chance for them to learn new skills so that they can have hands-on skill in the real world. So that is the overall program idea that I have for my project. Okay. If, if, if this project uh, is, realize how do you see the potential to capitalize it to generate income i mean this this question might be very uh out of the topic but i'm curious like what if you are the bu building owner how do you wanted to uh capitalize it or monetize it to create income to cover your bills to cover your your staff you know i, mm -hmm. I noticed there are some program like the workshops or whatnot mm-hmm Mm. So how, how okay. is there any other side programs that you would like to elaborate? Yeah. 
So the program of the building, we have a lot of like a training center and also nursery, potentially for, especially for the working class, so that when they go to work, they can leave their children here. And also the program also involves that to have like a leisure facilities like cinema, rock climbing, and also like restaurants and bar, which can generate income for the building. Mm. And also there are also a lot of the kind of farming agriculture and earning this kind of income through this additional um, program for them to take part, but at the same time they can invest um, their money in learning skills from that. So uh, the meaning is that you can actually take out and learn something from it instead of you just pay and then go to have fun, but you can learn something out of it. So that is part of it. And the money income that I actually, because in the beginning, we actually have like a business model. So before we start our studio, we have like a, we need to generate like a business model for this mm. project. Mm. So we need to think about what is the potential client and stakeholders and all the stuff. So what I gain from that is that I see that my site land value as my asset. So I have a lot of uh, different, um, maybe we can say like a rich investor of Canary Wharf mm. for or even the London Court Authority to um, persuade them to allow this kind of activities and programs to going on here in also benefiting the local community. So that is how I intend to use this program to maximize their profit and also while gaining, become uh, providing a platform for both sides to interact and understand each other. I'm fascinated by the idea that you guys are actually thought of the business model before uh, executed into architecture plan because I mean it happens a lot even in real world that a lot of uh, projects mm -hmm. is not viable because without a proper sustainable business model that eventually the, pro the the project is just become a white elephant you know yeah so um, I, I, I'm curious that when, when speaking of the programs, apart from the programs, the form is some, some sort of very... You are trying to promote a happiness or a certain value to enrich humanity. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I like the idea that you're actually thinking about, it's not about how much that I can build, it's all about uh, how many capacity that I can build for people. So. Um, how does the uh, programs in your education center relate to the site context? I'm curious, like, is there any practice been um, used or is been cultivated for a long time in that particular area? So is, may, is, is the uh, rock climbing or is the workshop related to the surrounding? Because I noticed maybe the chef or the cooking workshop may be related to the fish market, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So I think my building, I we actually, because from my case study, we always talked about the labor market. So I kind of come to a con, uh, conclusion that we, in this capitalized and working class culture that we have been seeing, it is kind of important to incorporate work, leisure, and well-being as a balance, you know, mm. in terms of because, well, why should we use leisure as like an exchange value for work? Why can't we just enjoy you know while working or even studying or learning i would like that's that's kind of how the idea comes in so i would like to platform um, provide like a platform where it is like a cultural hub 
but also like people can learn something from here but work in a more enjoyable environment. So this program is actually intense for it to blend because in Canary Wharf it's mostly when you see it, it's all about work. And, and you can see on the outer scheme of the Canary Wharf, it's mostly um, like cinema. They already have like a cinema or like a mm. gym, but it's mm. kind of quite far away, you know, and around it, they have like a hotel or something like that, but there is no place like in between Poplar and also Canary Wharf. So this place that I, the site that I chosen, it's kind of have like a close proximity between both sides. And also it also becomes like an exchange of transportation for the Poplar station. So when people want to go to work, they will actually enter this space hmm. and they can actually stop and also linger and also enjoy the space while on the way to work to have like more, more like a positive um, recognition in the brain so that work doesn't really equate to like torture and you know a routine mm. but more like you can enjoy while you go to work and also taking care of your well-being and leisure and also your mindset to better um, enrich your mind and also your skills so that is the the overall idea of this thing. I, I think the, the the role of your proposal is seems to be to uh amplify the nature of architecture as well as a bridge to connect mm -hmm. uh politics with people, to connect social with people, to connect uh, economics with people. So um I I, I see it as the uh circus like a farm palace by Cedric Price kind of thing mm -hmm. there yep. where you can have like a big roof and under there there will be a lot of pavilions little pavilions that um generate a lot of activities for people mm -hmm. so um speaking speaking of that are you saying that the purpose of the center is no longer about exchange for the money but it's it's all about exchange for knowledge or exchange for discourse i guess i would like to pro um, propose something that could benefit both sides. Right. You know, like from Cedric Price, I was largely inspired by the floating city of Yona Friedman and also Cedric okay. Price. Both of them actually talks about like um, incorporation of leisure into their work life instead of keep monetizing and become really unhappy throughout that. So what I propose here is for like, um, you know, to keep people moving is that mm. you just stay in an office area in a like a box where you don't move and you don't enjoy anything that you do but in this space you can potentially learn something and enjoy and also you can build your own environment space so if you want to um also this okay before that i would like to say because i actually proposed like a kind of some how do you say prefabricated mm. modules as well mm. so it's easier and there is like um uh, built-in crane mm. so when there's people there they want to build their own uh, learning environment and ship it they can use the crane there to ship and put where they want to mm. you know they want how their learning environment want and this that is part of the reason why you can see all those um, shades and canopy underneath it's mm. all like kind of like blocks and mm. um, prefabricated modules for the users to actually shape their own environment. Maybe the, the user doesn't really, doesn't really want to move it, then they can use the existing structure. 
but if they want to change like a different uh, different vibe and atmosphere of the living of the learning environment, they could do so as well. So they were given like options. Mm. I'm I'm. I have a I have a tricky questions here. That what if you don't see money as the uh medium or as a currency between things, right? Uh, how would how would you like to propose something to replace money? Is it possible to be something that like a like a like a um uh what what do we call it? It's a butter system kind of thing. Or would you like to propose something to replace money? this before but i think there is a reason why you know because butter system were actually proposed in the stone age people exchange things for um food or even uh, money and all the stuff right. and money becomes like a small like a symbol of wealth and if you want to exchange um maybe it is possible you know because like right now with Bitcoin also, we are using mm. Bitcoin mm. as money value. So I think that is a really huge possibility that would happen. But maybe not in the near future, maybe mm. in really, really far future. It might mm. happen, but yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe I, I don't know. What I thought is that it will be quite uh, not not balanced. It, it might be quite unfair. It's like, you give me a chicken, mm -hmm. I, can, I, can, I can clean your house for two hours kind of thing. <laughs> it could work. I mean, it, it totally depends on the person who who do the exchange, right? right. If the person is okay with it, and maybe if I clean your house for two to three hours and you give me like three chicken, okay, why not? I mean, you need food to survive, right? I mean, everyone has a different perception of what they want to do with their life and what successful means. It's kind of weird, but in this sense, there will have no like. You know, people with higher social status, maybe they do, I mean, like, people who are rich could have really a lot of chicken in the house. You get what I mean? <laughs> but it, it just feels weird. I mean, I kind of feel like, you know, right now, maybe right now, at this moment, we can't really think that without the world, without money. Mm. But in the far future, um, I think somehow, even if this money has been replaced, but there will somewhere... Um, something to actually replace this money. You get what I mean? Mm, mm, mm. Money is just like a symbol. It's so if you change it to butter system, the chicken become like a money. Yes, 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 saying? yes. So <laughs> I mean, yeah. you can't really deny. Yeah, but 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 I, I I agree in this sense that money or cash become the they they do the justice in a way. I I I work for how long and then there is a bar or there is a rules saying that one hour equal to how many money right that's that's uh -huh. justice in there because you can't justice that one chicken equal to your cleaning one and a half hour right it's very hard to justify uh -huh. that so uh -huh. um yeah I, I believe that you know one day maybe you can discover this into how does the money can change in architecture maybe my my one hour fee equal to five bricks kind of thing <laughs> oh no <laughs> I don't want that. I didn't do all this muscle just to have five breaks. <laughs> no, but 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 okay. Uh, and speaking of that, right? Let's let's talk about something inside inside the industry. It happens, right? It's like I design for free, but I get a bungalow. If let's say I design a residential project for you, I I'm mm -hmm. pretty sure you know about these kind of things, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So so how do you see that? It's like, can you actually wait 
weightage the uh, architect's effort or knowledge or experience into one bungalow that worth about one or one or two million, or even not not until that value is just maybe one unit in an apartment. Well, at least you get something out of it, right? Because some people they offer like even if your friends or family they offer to offer you the job to design this, but they actually pay you quite little, like less than what you sh you actually um put on your price usually as normal clients. Right. But at least if they in return they actually give something. I mean, this question is actually subjective. A lot of different people might you know to you. Maybe to me, I might accept it. But mm. maybe to some people, they would rather have money, you know, to mm. use it because that is not what they need. They may have already have bungalow, but you give them a bungalow again. Mm. They, they, it's not like, quite suitable. Mm. But if they have like money, they can use to buy anything they want, right? Not mm. just being limited within just this bungalow. Mm. Thanks, thanks for so much sharing on this, and I believe that one day we can talk more about it. But before, before uh, the a few questions that we end this, I would like to ask, like, because we talk about performance and also productivity, and how does it change to a certain things, a certain value, or you might say it's money in this case, or even leisure, right? So there is a things that we always chase after. So, mm -hmm. but I'm not talking about the result. I'm talking about the performance or the, um the process in order to get this product. Let's talk about like between the, the, the working culture that I, I believe that you might have some glimpse um, from our social psychology class talking about office workers and also factory workers. And it is really subjective to the level where you judge people where about their education uh, background or about their language. You know, it's, it's, it's been quite viral in Malaysia. For example, you talk about you are only hiring uh, most of the people, the company they, they hire, they put up the notice saying that Mandarin speaking only, you know, that's already mm -hmm. changed the yeah. value of searching for someone to work for you. Okay. So um, how do you see or what maybe is your prefer uh, preference that would you rather work for the kind of the things that, that, that challenge your brain where you know, like office worker, right? Or, or even speaking of designer, you're working for so long, the productivity will goes down along the time timeline, right? But if you're working for a factory workers, along the time, they are, they are, their productivity or the performance actually going up and up because they've been working on something for repeating for I don't know how, how many years, right? So mm -hmm. uh, uh, applying this kind of working culture into architecture. So uh, of course, you, you might say you prefer both, but... How do you see that? Uh, how how would you like to categorize yourself into? Uh, are you the kind of person who actually prefer keep doing to make yourself performance better in doing doing things more, or you you rather have a uh, different kind of challenges? But yet, the the the, the bad thing is that the productivity might goes down. Hmm, I think both have their own pros and cons. Yeah. as one can adjust without another. I think I was more inclined towards the do to think because as I have experienced in my first semester of my master, I actually my teacher actually provide a lot of readings to us. And I am actually the type of person who doesn't really go to, you know, architectural seminar or even touch on this reading unless I was forced to do it. So it actually this reading in the end actually helps me a lot. Right. I actually really, really decline to read all this stuff, but in the end, it actually triggers me to 
um, think so much more beyond than just a uh, no purely um, design on what I want or how I want it, but more thinking in uh, such way of political and economical and also socially to think about what how the context have to do with it mm. and how uh, all this actually comes together and produce and for, for your final project actually. In speaking of do to think, you you prefer how to do it? Do you involve in uh, 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 3D modeling software or I mean reading is is part of the do right? But it's just that it, mm-hmm. it's very much inclined into thinking. So I'm, yeah. I'm curious how you do to think. Okay, so I think it's really helpful that my teacher actually forced us to do like reflection after we do the reading. So it actually forced us to reflect what we actually read and also use it in our design. Do you get what I'm saying? Right, so right. after we read a reading and then we need to think about what the author actually says and what does it talk about. And my teacher actually conducts all this discussion between our students. So everyone has different readings and everyone share their opinions on the reading itself. So everyone has different opinions and you kind of triggers you to think as well. Things much more and also it might actually change your perspective from the beginning. And then in the end, you might come up with something really different. I, I guess that's the do with it. I think, I think uh, much more obvious is that you did a lot of diagrams. So that's part of yeah. the do thing, right? Yeah, we also need to do like mapping. So like I said, my teacher actually conducts like a cartography class. So mapping is not like, it's not as simple as what we think, you know, because right. it's quite eye-opening in terms of cartography. You can actually use cartography, um, generally speaking, cartography is kind of like mapping, as in like a mind map. Actually map, you can use cartography to show um, different scale, body scale, territorial scale, depends on how you use it. In a, in it eventually can be a really useful information, a resource for you to um, inform your design. You use this information to as become of a starter of the design. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's about it. Speaking of do's, right, and, and I, I saw a lot of your diagrams, how it sparks the idea of doing this kind of uh, series of diagrams started with arches. So... And, and because of one arches, it might become like vaults or it might be multi-cavages of things. So is that mm-hmm. part of the idea that you... Um, how, how, okay, how, how, how does that from reading that um, relate to your arches, I, uh, arches idea? That because what you said is like mapping, what you said is uh, politics. How does that relate to eventually the arches? Okay, so I think my mapping actually shows more of the contextual on how people travel to work and how the labels travel to work or how the immigration system works in the UK. And from there, I actually more focus on the community-based stuff. So how um, these arches actually becomes like a sense, um, sense of attachment or even sense of belonging to the local community there. Right. So from there, I should develop, I use these arches from the existing building and develop into some much, something much more. So it could be something, you could say that it might be an innovative, a much more innovative design compared to the old ones. So that's how I start from there and I start modeling, 3D modeling it in Rhino and test with different kind of forms and how it suits and how it actually um, provides circulation for the people itself. Okay. So I think that's generally how my design development works. If you just keep thinking and you never do something about it, 
I doubt you can have anything being done. Mm. I mean, like my favorite quote goes like, if you actually dream it, if you can dream it, and you can do it. I mean, if you didn't do anything, mm. and there's no product, so um, you just keep thinking that you just keep overthinking, and then you can't really gather your thought and really do something and visualize and you know realize something into a reality. Yeah, I, I, I think I think it's a good way to put it into like for example we just this just now did mention about uh Yona Friedman or even Cedric Price. You know those are the projects that really, really good concept. But the thing is when it comes to like architecture students, they have a lot of good concept but they can't do then uh it can't it, it can be another just another fifty effort. what do you think? Because do you, do you think or, or, or you think that you know what Cedric Price has been done is already 99% 1% is the money kind of thing <laughs> I mean I agree with that because um, even though as much as how Yona Friedman and also Cedric Price girls they have really really good intricate thoughts behind all this proposal uh, that they propose mm. and somehow you know when you see their design it's kind of like um, like that it's just a, a overall concept of visualize of how they actually visualize how it actually happens but as i say i think much um, research is really important at this stage you can't really rush into design after you actually after maybe they already did a lot of research on it mm. but they just need that's why i think you need a thinker and a doer to work together to produce a good outcome mm. it's not really only up to one people because as you see cedric price and yona Bradman, they have really really good concepts but when they realize it, it's kind of like maybe that is part of the reason why most of the people can't accept like what their proposal is because it looks like frankly it just looks like blocks mm. and really industrial trusses and everything just goes about because normal people they can't really understand what mm, all this mm, is mm, about mm. you know normal people we just see oh my god it's just buildings and blocks in the air and, and trusses. it's all trusses <laughs> yeah Excited for the future it may be built someday because it reminds yeah. me of Zaha's painting, right? You know, Zaha actually designed a lot of things that way before the technology comes to her time. But until like mm. maybe takes you know takes time, and then eventually Zaha the parametric design is not impossible. It's everywhere. You know, it's yeah, not just Zaha. You are talking about mad architects from China. It's it's very common. Maybe maybe it's just mm -hmm. the, the the mindset or the mentality is not come yet. So, like uh, I mean, well, it's someone hasn't I think the technicality is really important as well you need to work with an engineer to in order to make it work mm. if you can make it work then and the structural and all those stuff it actually works and there are actually people who actually um, provide this kind of service and you contact with them even though they might be niche and no one ever heard about it yet but you actually start something you know mm. you know you actually started something and get it built and people can see it and they can actually test it for themselves whether it's like, oh, is it a great design? Like, because, like, as you say, Zaha, they actually have, like, because before that, no one actually thinks about all mm. this curvy structure. But because of her, she actually realized it and make, show it to the world, you know, it's not just ideas and concepts. It mm. can actually be built and, you know, people can inhabit it. Mm. So, 
Yeah, I I think I think uh before before everything's uh we do must 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 uh be bold and daring to dream because I think a lot of times mm-hmm. that people are tend to timid to dream to dream yeah. about it because they actually dream but they didn't dream further. <laughs> I just feel like you kind of reflect like our architecture in Malaysia because yeah. everyone just so scared of trying something new. So this is like part of the reason why I think in overseas they actually provide a lot of opportunities for you to explore this design. Right. In Malaysia, it's all about you know going by the rules and regulation and the setback and mm-hmm. how the building form should work because they all they think is about money as well. Right. So that it doesn't exceed that budget. Right. In, in the overseas, actually allow you to explore so much more. I think partly also because of their local authority and all those stuff, they're actually quite um, open. Mm. Yeah, it's quite open. And then they would allow this kind of structure going on. Well, I, I, well, well, I, 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 can't, I can't do this episode of a podcast is gonna like bashing Malaysia, but of course the, the <laughs> of course you know uh, every country has their own uh, pros and cons. Yeah, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm not saying this. everyone. I'm not saying Malaysia is not good. I mean, I, I like to explore more. I mean, maybe for some people, you know, they will like Malaysia because it's so safe, and you just need to follow by the rules, and you can just go mm. to the stairwell to faster. But maybe for some people, uh, some people, maybe mm. like me, I would like to, you know, I like to explore like how they can work this thing. And then maybe you can, from there, you can work out something which can be integrated in Malaysia's rules and regulations and for it to become, to, you know, change the architecture in Malaysia, you know, instead of just followed by the book and always, and you just keep producing same blocky development, mm. terrace housing, mm. you know, all those stuff. I think yeah. I think in the end, it's That's really that. important to have that kind of mindset in your in your brain. Is that must be always open. I mean, of course, you can defend you can defend your culture, you can defend your um policy, you can defend your mm-hmm. rules or bylaws. But I think at least must accept people's opinion yeah. that's the first thing i would say because but the if, budget is still also the concern in malaysia i guess because <laughs> yeah yeah, um, yeah yeah but but anyhow i think it's the mindset you must prepare it's not like oh because it's expensive then you don't want to do but um, uh, you know you you, di- you didn't give chance to young people to think about it then it's stopping a lot of possibilities you know but so, you also talk it also takes like um, I guess faith and also connection. Mm. If you actually get, I mean, it's totally different story. Maybe some people in Malaysia, I I've seen good architectures in Malaysia as well. But those architects are really really lucky. You have to be really really lucky to meet like a really good client, mm. which allows you to explore more design possibilities. Because most people like you know minimal minimalist right. you know design. They like that more, and because it saves money as well. Right. If you are actually lucky, you meet a rich client and allows you to do whatever hell you want. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's and, a really totally different story. Yeah, and and speaking of millennials, I have a very interesting story. Is that uh, I was reading this book, Low Tech, by uh Julia Watson. It's saying that mm-hmm. we are living in an information age, but we are lacking of wisdom. So we we have a lot of data, right? And and you can actually yeah. do anything with just internet. But mm-hmm. people don't think, people don't dream, you know. So that's kind of a human problem, lah. I would say. I mean, I I must mm. I must critically criticize on this because we really do need a lot of dreamers and also imaginations. Um, 
I think we've been living too stressed up or we've been living into this world too real. So mm-hmm. it's stopping a lot of possibilities because, um, well, Yona Fragment, I, I think he did a pavilion or like a summer house, I think they call it, um, along with uh, Bia Ingalls, I think in 2016, you know, the, the mm-hmm. Bia Ingalls did the summertime pavilions. Yona Fragment mm-hmm. did one of them. Um, I think... I think when per- perhaps we might take a step back, we don't have to imagine it to be a proper mega structure. It can be a pavilions, you know. Like Yona Fragment actually proposed like boxes, right? And how these boxes can create a city, it can be downscale to a, uh, a installation of pavilions. It doesn't have to be uh, a proper project that like Corbusier that kind of scale, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. Okay, so so final questions. Um, you are going to leave Oxford, right? I'm not sure you have any plan for UK. You might want to work in UK. You might want to work in Malaysia. So please share with us, like, what is your next step? I guess I for my next step, it might to take a few years to work overseas. Um, mm. regardless whether it's in the UK or any other place, I just mm. see that. If I have an opportunity and if it's not difficult for the visa and all the stuff to go on, I would like to work overseas definitely before I actually settle down in Malaysia. So that's the planning right now. I wouldn't try to fit set it like as clear as possible as to my goal. I like to take the flexibility to see um, whatever it takes. What's mine is going to be mine, and what's not mine is not going to be mine. Right. So that is kind of my mindset right now. I'm just trying to get my CV and portfolio done, and I'm ready to try to see what's the next plan for me. Yeah, and 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 uh, you had some uh, internship in in China before, so I believe that it's uh it's not really an first step for you to venture into overseas working experience as well. Mm-hmm. Yep, and yeah, that was also part of the reason. I also have. Uh, interest in looking job opportunities in China if right. I couldn't really have a much uh, chance here so that is another plan B okay. <laughs> cool thank you so much and uh, before that uh, instead of giving an advice would you like to throw a questions for our stu- uh, for our audience it can be for students it can be for our your colleagues or it can be for yourself um <laughs> I think I don't really have much question, but it is indeed great to think, maybe take time to think about what architecture is in terms of how you can design and change the world right. using architecture. Right. Because architecture is so much more, don't let something um, or even criticism brings you down, mm. but you can actually do so much more. and. If you meet the right teacher or lecturer, then you are lucky. But if you don't, don't give up so easily. Mm. Because I can see a lot of our friends and students, they are they have given up this area because, uh, as you can talk about like AI and stuff, you know, in the future it might take over and blah blah blah. Mm. But I think this kind of possibility is uh, evident since decades ago. That is my opinion, you know. mm-hmm. I mean. Because just because of you heard about all these things, it doesn't really reduce the possibility of you getting. If you actually work harder, maybe you still have a chance in this world despite AI taking over. Mm. So I just think don't give up so easily. If you really want it, you can really do it. Mm. 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Chico. And I hope you enjoy. And here comes to our end. And uh, hope to see you soon.